0: Turn to Matthew chapter 15. As you're turning to Matthew 15, due to the wonders of Facebook, um, I guess a lot of you know that we had a, a little incident last night. And um, in fact, my very first question, I, I just got here. I saw one person as i my way to the office. And they're said, hey, did you get the skunk out of your garage last night? Okay, so I thought none of you are going to be able to pay attention if you are tracking, you know, and I'm not sure how all these things get known, but there we have this we have this issue here, and uh, so it was like 10:30 at night, and I'm kind of thinking, good, I I I probably need, need to go and get some sleep, you know, that's kind of a good night to get a lot of rest there. I was had a little struggle there because the Oregon Ducks were playing on TV and they're playing Washington, but uh, but you know I was thinking, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make full advantage of this extra hour of sleep. Well, 1030 at night, my kids, of course, are not in bed like they should be. They should have been well tucked in. But no, they're telling me that there's, there's an animal in our garage, okay? And the cats are acting all nervous and skittish and stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, just what I want. I, I don't even hear about things like this. And things like this oftentimes happen at the most inopportune times. So so I'm like, well, okay, well, then let's get the cats. And we spread them out in different rooms and lock them up there. And, and then I, I go in the garage and, whoa, okay. You guys all seen the movie Bambi, right? Remember Blossom? I didn't know Blossom was so big. Whoa. There it was, right there by the door. And it's, and Karina had made a a shopping trip and we're preparing some meals and some different events and there's a bunch of chips and stuff that are sitting out kind of on the shelf there. And there's the big old skunk. He's got his tail straight up there and I know that's a bad sign, okay? And, and so he's kind of going through there and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, and you know how it is. You dads can relate. Your family thinks that you know how to respond to situations like this. Like, I was like, and Karina's telling me she's going to bed. Like, no, 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 you need to deal with this. No, so I'm like, what am I gonna do? How do I get a skunk out of my garage? So I, so I, I tried some different things. I tried a verbal command. That didn't work. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, try- I was thinking. There's a lot of ways this could go really bad. Okay. I mean, I heard that if you get sprayed with a skunk, man, it stays with you. Can you, and I was thinking, you know, on tomorrow's Sunday, you know, just talk about just spreading and being an aroma of Christ. I would be an aroma. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking about this, like, well, do I try to go get my broom? And, oh, I forgot. Okay, there's a football on the clothes hamper. I put that there because I, I was going to maybe use that if things got out of control with the skunk. That's why that's in there. Anyway, so I was, I was trying to be creative and come out with a way to get the skunk out. I, it's going through the chips and I, I can do anything. So all I felt like I could do, I opened the garage door and I'm like, well, I may as well just kind of stay up. So I stayed up and watched a lot of the duck football game and then I, I came back out thinking like, oh, maybe he's left. I kind of looked around. I didn't see him and I didn't want him to bring all the buddies back. Okay. So I, I shut the garage door and I, I think that the skunk is gone. Okay. Now I'm, I'm telling you this because You know, from the outside, our our house looked totally fine, right? There's the call home. Everything looks in order. Things are good, right? Actually, they weren't. We had a skunk in the garage, and I was worried that he would, because he was right by the door, that he might make his way into our house, and wouldn't that be special, right? And so we have, you know, it looked good on the outside, but inside we had some real problems. Now, a skunk in your house, you know, that's one thing. But we have an internal problem that we need to address. Far worse than having a skunk in your house. We have what's called sin, and it's in our heart. And it is creating major disaster. When the Bible talks about our heart, it talks about that central place where our will and our character, decisions, who we are, the essence of our being, our thinking, all reside in what the Bible calls our heart. We generally associate our heart with the emotions. Uh, the Bible, when it speaks, speaks of the heart, it speaks of, of your mind and your will and decision making, your emotions, that was actually associated with your stomach area. They call it like the bowels, your stomach. And we have a heart problem that is affecting Everything. You know your heart seeps into everything, your relationships, your decisions, your understanding of romance, your what you think about. It is all everything is just permeated. What you say with your words, what you do with your hands, all the stuff that you're processing and thinking, it all is directly related to your heart. And it's no wonder that you know what God is most concerned about? You know what God's most concerned about? He's concerned about your heart. This became crystal clear when like Samuel was going to find the second king for Israel. And he's going and he found this guy, he looked really good. And he sees Eliab and he goes, Man, this is the guy. Look at him, he's got stature, he's got muscle, he looks good. Got the right clothes. He's obviously been shopping. He's the guy. And God said to Samuel these words He said, You know, don't don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature Because I've rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance. But what does God do? But the Lord looks at the heart. Do You know, the most important aspect of your entire being is your heart. And yet oftentimes it goes so little addressed. We take showers and we do funny stuff with our hair and we buy all these nice clothes and we try to look as good as possible on the outside. Do you know, God is very much interested in what's going on inside because that affects everything. Now, today we're going to meet some people in spiritual heart failure. You know, just like there are some warning signs when you're about ready to have a cardiac arrest, a heart attack. You know, sweating, pain in your left shoulder, left arm, jaw, shortness of breath, just this clenching pressure in your chest. Well, there's some warning signs when you are facing a spiritual heart crisis, and I want you to see some examples of them in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then some of the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, Pharisees and the scribes, the scribes, these were like the lawyers of the day, and they studied the Old Testament and they knew it backwards and forwards. They were the authorities. And the Pharisees prided themselves in meticulously following everything in the scriptures. And they also had something else going on where they had an abundance, an overwhelming number of man-made rules that probably got off to a good start. We need to have these to help us follow these laws. But all of a sudden, things got really mixed up and became chaos. And there led to a spiritual disaster. Now, I want you to also notice, where do they come from? Do you see that in verse 1? They came from Jerusalem. Jesus is pretty much ministering up over in the Galilee region. Headquarters for the Jewish faith is where? Jerusalem. You've got the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. Those 144 guys, they're all based where? In Jerusalem. Now Jesus has alarmed the top authorities. And so they send a delegate. They're kind of bringing in the big guns to deal with Jesus. And so they come up from Jerusalem, they find Jesus, and notice verse 2, look at what they say. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Immediately, they just go straight to the throat. They're They're not concerned about asking questions. They should have been alarmed. They've got to hear about all these miracles that Jesus has done. His wisdom... People are calling him the Messiah. He's healed people that are lame and sick, blind. He's even raised people from the dead. You think you put yourself in a situation where you might want to ask some questions, especially if you know the Old Testament, and he is point by point fulfilling the prophecies made in regards to the Messiah. But no, they're going, hey, we're going to take issue with you. What is going on with your boys? You see, a rabbi was in charge of his disciples, and so they're saying, Something must be wrong with you and your leadership because your guys are doing what? They do not wash their hands when they eat their bed. They're breaking the tradition of the elders. Now, what are they talking about? Remember those rules that they, I was talking about, that the, the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to follow, especially the Pharisees? Well, the idea was is that when Moses came down with the law, the rabbis, as they, this is what they've said, is that he also brought down a lot of traditions that were not recorded and then these traditions were passed on and eventually they became part of the oral tradition of judaism and they would memorize all of these rules and they'd come up with more rules and more rules and so by the time that they come out of babylonian exile and they come back to israel they've got all these rules that regulated pretty much almost every aspect of life how far you could walk on the Sabbath, what you could do, what you could not do. And, I mean, it was crazy how minute these rules would be. Now, there is no rule about washing hands before you eat. There is at the call house. I mean, like, I checked with my kids. Do you wash your hands? But, you know, what they're, what they're doing is there was a rule for the priests, before they would serve God in sacrifices, they were to wash their hands and their feet at the laver that was right there by the tabernacle. They were to do that. Well, to show you how this works, they said, well, you know, if it's good for the priest, maybe before formal prayers, we should wash our hands in the same ceremonial way. And it, was, and it wasn't like a hygiene issue, because they're literally just pouring a little bit of water over it. You know, kind of like, you know how some people just kind of wash their hands. They turn it on, and I, like that's doing anything. Check, you're a legalist. I wash my hands, okay? No, you ran a little bit of water over them. Well, they had that. Well, then they go, well, you know... Well, if it's good before formal prayers, then it should be good before we eat because food is from God. And so we'll create a rule that you have to wash in a certain way before you eat. And that's what they're talking about here. You see, they expected if Jesus is a rabbi worth his salt, he's going to know all these oral traditions. And he's going to make sure that his followers do them. And obviously, they're not. We got a big problem. And you know what these Pharisees and scribes think of Jesus? Because he doesn't follow their rules, they think he's a heretic. They want to put him to death over these issues. Because they held the law of the Lord as been given by God, and the man-made rules that were eventually recorded in the Mishnah, the tradition of the elders, this oral tradition, On equal basis, some scholars said that they actually held these laws in even greater importance than this law. And I've actually read some of the writings that actually seem to infer that they thought that was the case. And when they see Jesus and his boys not washing hands. We got a problem and they want to deal with it. And Jesus takes them head on. Look at how Jesus responds to this. Verse three. And he answered them, answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? They weren't expecting that. They're expecting an answer about why you're not washing your hands. And he's going to get to that. in Verses 10 and 11. But Jesus is after the heart and he is going to address the heart issue with these men, these Pharisees and these scribes. And he says, why in the world? Are you actually transgressing, stepping outside of the path, transgressing the commandment of, notice what he says, commandment of God. He doesn't even say the commandment of Moses, which might be expected. He says God's word, God's commandment for the sake of your traditions. Why do you violate them? They were like, whoa. In one sentence, Jesus now flipped the tables. Now all of a sudden, they're on the defensive. Wait, this wasn't, we're here to attack you. All of a sudden, he turns it around. And then? He brings up an example. I'm sure they're going, what? What are you saying? What are you doing? Our whole world is all tied up in these traditions and following these laws here. And Jesus said, let me give you a case in point. Verse 4. He said, for God said, honor your father and mother. Does that sound familiar? Anybody remember that one? Where's that from? Ten Commandments? Who knows which one? Yes, that's exactly right. It's The Fifth Commandment. This was like core to judaism you follow the ten commandments the fifth one is to honor your father and mother and they were like yeah we're with you on that yes honor your father and mother and and then jesus actually backs that up he says in verse four he says he's quoting here from uh, another exodus 21 where he says he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death and that was the case twice in the old testament he says if you as a child curse your parents you're to be put to death. Woo. Now, obviously, that would probably get floated around in family devotions every once in a while, and kids, in case they am on, all right, there? Oh, whatever you say, Mom, right? And that was, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. They, they knew this. And he says, what in the world are you guys doing? Look at verse 5. But you say, now he's going to talk about their Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you, has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, what is going on here? Well, what he's referring to is a practice that was part of the oral tradition that you could do this. You could say that your resources were Corban, that literally means gift for God or gift to God. And so this is what happened. You had a biblical responsibility to care for your parents or your grandparents if they were living with you. And and by the way, if you didn't have like if you were if your spouse had died and you were a woman and you didn't get married to someone else or you were old, too old and you weren't going to get married to anybody. You had no one to care for you. God says I am concerned about people in need, especially your family members. You take care of them. And that had been practiced for the centuries. But then they came up with Corbin. And so what they did is said a, a younger person could say, well, these resources I am going to declare are Corbin. They are dedicated to God. My money, this money is now dedicated to God, kind of like an irrevocable trust. And yet they could exercise the right to use of those funds. And so kind of what it would look like is this. There would be family members that would be in need, the practice and the tradition, and according to the word of God, so you're supposed to take care of them. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad, Mom, Grandma. Everything I have is Corbin. to give it to God, I can't give it to you, right? That's how it worked. Jesus says, what you're doing through your traditions have put you in a position where you are absolutely violating the very word of God, his commandment. (laughs) This is crazy. This week, um, I think it was like Thursday, we're having dinner. And uh, my oldest teenage daughter, she had a little friend over there, finishing up there. and, And she springs it on us that she needs $10 to go on some Spanish field trip. What? I mean... She has all these babysitting jobs. She probably has more money than I do. Okay. And I'm thinking, what? She's asking me for money? And, and so I'm like, Hey, hey, how about this? Hey, could I have borrow or have $10 from you? And she goes, Oh, well, all the money I have left has been given to God. I'm like, now, you see, this problem is still with us. Okay. I don't, I don't know what they're studying in that high school youth group, but I am going to find out. I'll give you a report next week. She didn't say Corbin, but she basically gave that, that same policy. That's what they do. But, of course, you know, for that, it was kind of funny at home. I'm like, I told her, I said, that's going to make it into a sermon, okay? <laughs> but it wasn't a funny issue when Grandma absolutely needed things or your mother needed your help and he just said, Corbin, hey, to make matters worse, let's say you came to your senses and you're like, you know, wait, that tradition is violating this commandment. Oh, wait a second here. Meek's saying all my money is Corbin. That, I'm That's not right. That's not right what I'm doing to my mom or my folks or my grandparents. I want to, I want to change that. I want to go and use these, this money and help them. The Pharisees would say, you can't do that. You made a vow to God. That money is His. You can't use it now for your folks. So you see, Jesus has got to address this. You know, anytime we put our traditions Our form over the authentic faith, over God's declared word, we are putting ourselves in real, serious heart trouble. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He said, you have, verse 6, invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. This is a very serious issue. How serious? Look at this. He just keeps going. Verse 7, what does Jesus think about people who act and feign like they're all religious and all holy and got all the right lingo and maybe wear fancy hats and special robes or pride themselves in their legalistic performance. Well, you don't have to wonder. Verse 70 spells it out. You hypocrites. That word had a nasty sound to it back then like it does now. Hypocrites has the idea of, of an actor, and that's what they actually called their Greek actors. They called them hypocrites. Because they put on a mask, pretend to be someone they really weren't. Of course, everybody knew they were acting, but they wore that mask. But they, by the time in Jesus' day, it still it had a real negative connotation, as it does today. You're acting, you put on a show. And Jesus sees right through it. In fact, he calls a spade a spade. He says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Isaiah's time, 8th century BC. And he says, let me quote you a verse that speaks to the reality of your leadership. Verse 8, right here from Isaiah 29, verse 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They got the right words. They sing the right songs. They know the right answers. They, They can say it here. But their heart, what I'm after, is far from me. Verse 9, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Their worship, their show, their songs, they're even showing up at the festivals, their sacrifices, he says, is vanity because their heart is not right with me. He says, "They they teach as doctrines, teachings from God, The precepts of men. And Jesus says, I am completely uh, addressing this issue in your life. Let me just tell you what this looks like. Man-made efforts to honor God led to hearts becoming hard, hard towards God. And what they did is they missed the reality of the relationship. And they replaced faith, authentic, genuine faith, love for God, with rules and rituals. In fact, they put their faith in the laws that they made up, and they thought they were right with God because they could keep up with all the rules. And they assessed how well they were doing, quote-unquote spiritually, on the basis of these rules and rituals that they had put their faith in, and they missed God altogether, and they have the equivalent of a spiritual heart attack. In fact, they are dead, and Jesus calls them on it. They have completely missed the reality of relationship with the living God. And Jesus says, okay, you had a question about washing hands. We need to answer that. I need you to see that your heart is not right with God because you're caught up in your own rituals and routines. In fact, your faith is in them and your observances and your days. You have missed the importance and the reality of what these things were to mean. And so Jesus says, let me get back to that hand-washing question you had, verse 10. And he says, I'm, not, I'm going to do this publicly. You came to assault me. You came to persecute me. I'm bringing everyone in because they need to know what's really going on. And so verse 10, he called the crowd to him. And he said to them, hear and understand. Sound familiar? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God absolutely wants his people, to truly know and understand him and his word. He says, understand this. And then in verse 11, he basically unravels their whole man-made religion. Verse 11, it is not what enters into the mouth that that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Now you were going, that sounds about right to the Jewish mindset this was totally foreign because they thought holiness was all about the stuff that you did or you didn't do or the things that you ate or that you didn't eat or how you washed your hands and when you washed your hands and they all it was all about the rules and the rituals and the routines and if you could do all this stuff you must be holy you look good on the outside and Jesus said no it's not what enters into your mouth that defiles you he says it's what proceeds Out of your mouth. You see, a man speaks from that which fills his heart. Whatever is going on in here is going to come out your mouth. It's going to be expressed out of your life. That's what defiles you. If you have evil in your heart, it's going to come out your life. And so Jesus then just declares, listen, I'm declaring war on your man-made religion. Authentic relationship with God is a hard issue. It's not about your habits. Well, we got a, we got a serious issue going on here. Jesus now has just confronted these people. They put all their faith in their forms and their rituals and their routines. You see, the problem, friends, is this. They were trusting in the law and their laws and not in the Lord himself. And if you're thinking, like, yeah, good thing that doesn't happen anymore Friends, it is happening today, and I hope it's not happening to you. That you're putting your faith in some sort of routine or rituals or, or performance-based faith, when in reality it's all about truly knowing God. Well, there, what's needed here is a spiritual heart analysis, and Jesus is going to provide it. Now, this must, this must have been an unnerving scene. These, the Pharisees and the scribes, you would have got to imagine, were just like livid, Jesus just publicly embarrassed them. In fact, Jesus just set himself up as the authority and basically said, you're not it. And you've got to imagine the tension that was being felt. Well, then, verse 12, the disciples came, and this must have been a little bit of time afterwards, and said to him, uh, and you could just see, like, because they themselves were like, these are our leaders. They came probably from the Sanhedrin. And you just come in front of them like they're going to be really mad and look at this uh, verse 12 uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement do you know what you just did do you, do you know that they're going to be really mad and when they're mad ooh, when they're mad they kill people okay you offended them Jesus do you know what you're doing Jesus goes, guys did you forget about the storm back there? Did you forget all the times I fed you guys? and all? Do you forget all, all the miracles? Did you forget who I am? Do you remember when I said, it is I when you were in that storm? Peter, did you forget that when you focused on me, you were able to walk on water? Jesus says, verse 13, he answered and said, uh, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. In fact, he says, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall... Be uprooted. Now, I would imagine these disciples are going, What? Jesus is saying, in all these Pharisaical leadership, all these scribes, Sanhedrin, they may have the form that looks like they belong to me, but in reality, they are not mine. You see that? Verse 13 every plant which my heavenly father did not plant. I didn't plant them. These aren't mine. And he says, they shall be uprooted. Jesus is saying, they're going to be addressed. These were the spiritual leaders of the nation. Jesus says, they're not mine. My heavenly father did not plant them and they will be uprooted. Right now, it looks like they are it. They are the leadership. They represent everything that we should become. Jesus said, they're not mine. And one day, they're going to be ripped out. Just like you take weeds out of your garden. One day, they're just roots and all. They're going to be gone. And he says, verse 14, let them alone. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. They don't have just some insight and just to offer a few things. He says, no, they are absolutely blind. They cannot see. They're blind guides of the blind. And he says, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Think of it. If you can't see and you're leading some other people that can't see, what's going to happen? You're going to fall into a pit. You're going to fall down. You're going to step in the trap because they themselves cannot see. He's saying they don't understand the intent of the law. They don't understand its meaning. They don't understand that it was meant to point to me to show our sinfulness, our need for Christ, that the law was meant to separate us to God himself. That's why God gave all these food regulations. You know, he gave it to the people of Israel because he wanted them to be different than everybody else, that they would set apart and that they would be set apart unto God. It was supposed to be an act of worship, but they got so focused on the laws that they missed God. And God, Jesus says, listen. They're not mine. I'm going to uproot them. And you stay away from them. Don't be influenced by them. Don't follow them. Don't hang out with them. And don't point others to them. Stay away. Let them alone because I am going to judge them. They are blind guides to the blind. Leave them alone. (sighs) Well, you've got to imagine that when they're hearing this, they're like, you're saying, That everything that we have basically lived under, under their leadership, were to forsake and follow you alone. Exactly. And when we're talking about a spiritual heart analysis, friends, there is something critical to what Jesus says here that you have to personally evaluate and know for the rest of your life. Whoever you choose to. Influence your life spiritually, you want to make sure they are God's men, God's leaders. Because if they are blind, they don't really understand the gospel, they don't understand God or godliness, they don't understand grace, justification by faith, sanctification, what real relationship with God is all about. If they are off, They'll lead you into a pit. And we live in a world that is filled with every religious stripe imaginable. Right? We got folks dressed up in robes. You got all sorts of world religions. You have all these denominations within Christianity. You got candles and ceremony and rituals and don't eat that and you got to give this up. And you got every. And you're like, man, you look up there and you're like, it is confusing. This is worse than being in Baskin and Robbins on, with, uh, on steroids. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. What, I could pick something. What, what is the right way? The right way is Jesus and those who truly know him and adhere to the authority of his word. There's a lot of folks that are setting themselves up as spiritual leaders. Friends, be very careful who your mentors are. Who are you placing yourself under? Because Jesus says, you know what? All this false stuff that's going on, I'm going to let it happen for a while they're not mine, they don't belong to the Father, and one day I'll uproot them. But you need to know that you put yourself under leadership that is not absolutely committed to knowing the joy of Christ, the gospel, the authority of the word. They could very well be blind guides, they're going to go into a pit, and you will join them because you sat under them. And you said, well, well it's good enough for them, good enough for me. Jesus says, you will be culpable and responsible. <sighs> Whoa. Well, now, they're like, "Well, we've got to understand this, so Verse 15, Peter said to him, hey, we, we got to understand this. This is that serious. Explain the parable to us. That That's saying that you said there, what did you mean by that? We've got to make sure we got it. And verse 16, Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Remember from Luke 13 about how important it is that you understand? He says, you, you still don't get it. You do not understand. Let me spell this out for you. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach, and is eliminated. It goes into the latrine. He gets pretty graphic there, and they're like, okay, I got it. If he goes, he says, it's food. It's processed, spelled, done with. We got it. Verse 17, he says, that, that. Verse 18, he says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. You see, the stuff that comes out of your mouth out of your life. You're done with your hands. It is, comes from within. The heart. Your will. Your character. Who you are. He says this. That is what defiles the man. He says verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. You know where that all, that all comes from? It comes from within. you got a heart trouble. you got heart problems. Murders. You know where that all gets started? Because you got sin residing in your heart. Adultery fornications, having any any sort of extramarital sex, put your whole pornography issues in there, thefts, false witness, slanders, assaulting someone's character with half-truths or just outright lies. Where does this all come from? It comes from a heart that is wicked and desperately sick. It's evil. Jesus says that stuff, when it comes out your life, it defiles you. It makes you unclean unfit for worship. This is the stuff that defiles a person. He says, verse 20, these are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands, please, that does not defile the man. You see? I mean, they're all worried about little petty things like, did you wash your hand with the three little sprinkle drops? Hit your fingers right. So it does nothing. Man-made tradition. You focused on that, you are missing the reality that spirituality and holiness is a heart issue. They're putting their faith in these following these little laws that they came up with. They have missed putting their faith in me so I can address the heart issue in them. You see, until you see your sin, it never moves you to see your great need for the Savior. You see, they didn't see their need. That's why they never trusted in Jesus. And that is true for all of us. You have to see your need. I was reading, there's a, these two brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, they wrote a book called Made to Stick. And in this book, they talk about this doctor, this doctor's name is Dr. Leon Bender, who had this problem. The problem was, is that the people in the hospital that he oversaw, why the doctors and the nurses and the administrators, they weren't washing their hands in compliance to the regulations. Okay, and I don't know if you know this, but thousands of people die to do to just preventable bacterial infections every year in hospitals. And they have a standard. It's they need 90% compliance to be accredited in his hospital, no matter what they tried and all these little tactics and antics to get people to wash their hands, their doctors, their nurses, their staff. At best, they hit 80%. Drove him crazy. So apparently he went on a cruise. He's on a cruise in the South Seas. And you know, you're supposed to have an enjoyable, nice time, I guess, on a cruise. I've never been on one, but that's apparently the game plan bat that and gained 20 pounds. Well, he got, he got really disturbed when he's on the cruise because he watched the people on the ship that were working, all their staff, and the staff were always washing their hands, just like he wanted his employees at the hospital to do all the time. And it drove him crazy that they were so good at washing all their hands and doing what they're supposed to do, and he couldn't get folks in his own hospital to do it. Well, what do you do if you're a leader and you're going to, you have the accreditation time and committee coming and visiting you? You take action. And so this is what he did. One time, all of, one day, there was this little surprise, and he randomly selected 20 doctors, nurses, and staff, and he had them place their hand in one of those little petri dishes. Okay, that, that large one. He placed their in there, and he just randomly selected these people, and they took that little petri dish, you know, and it, and they went and took it back to the lab, and they watched to see what would grow on there, and then they took pictures of that, and the pictures were astounding. You know, those little auger plates, you know? Well, all of a sudden, man, when they took pictures, they had just this nastiest of stuff growing on all of them. And they picked the worst one, and they made that the screensaver for all of their computers throughout the entire hospital. Okay? In fact, you can see it up here on this next slide there. They put it on there because they wanted the people to realize just what they were facing. And so what kind of effect did that have? Well, you know what kind of effect it had? they got 100% compliance with the washing of the hands rules. In fact, they were able to maintain it. And they assessed this. What exactly happened? You see, until you see the need, until it hits you at an emotional level, where you're actually engaged, where you actually care about it, you won't do anything. But when you see the reality situation, then, then you'll respond. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's addressing the issues of their heart. He is showing them, hey, murders, adultery, all of your slander. In fact, remember on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 where he's saying, hey, you know all those false oaths that you take and all of your lusting and all of the different things that you're doing, assassinating people's character and failing to love people? That is a heart issue, and it leads to death. You need me to build your life on me. That's what Jesus says. And so he shows them. And that's what he's going through here with this spiritual analysis. You see, our defilement of our heart can only be cleansed by devotion to Christ, to truly know Him. And to drive this point home, out of the blue, someone most unexpected demonstrates what real faith looks like. What is Jesus after? What does it look like when you have spiritual heart health? Look at verse 21. Well, Jesus pulls out of there. And he goes, he, he's going to go to Gentile country. He went away from there. Verse 21, he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. May not mean a whole lot to you, but this is Gentile country. Furthermore, this is where the real bad guys live, the real pagans, right? The Jews would never go there. Tyre and Sidon, right along the Mediterranean Sea, this powerful maritime, two major seaports. But they were just also wildly pagan. Okay. And a lot of the Canaanites. Do you remember the Canaanites? Okay. They were the ones that the Jews, when they moved into the promised land, were to completely get rid of. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, Jesus goes to Gentile country. Okay. He already now kind of declared all foods clean. In fact, Mark Mark seven nineteen actually says that when Jesus made those previous con- comments. Well, now he goes into Gentile country. And verse 22, and a Canaanite woman from the region Was there. Now, the Canaanites, do you remember them? Like, yeah, I remember them in the Old Testament. What were they like? Absolutely wicked. Their religious practices included uh, widespread sexual immorality. You had homosexual priests and priestesses. You had all sorts of adultery and wickedness and fornication going on as they practiced their religion to get their gods to try to emulate and bring fertility to land by seeing all this immorality happening among your religion and among your people. That was the idea of it. And to show you how how wicked this is, not only did they do that, but they would actually take their own children and sacrifice them to these demonic gods and burn them alive. And God said, I have given them time to repent. Remember that? They have not, and I'm going to bring judgment upon them. These are the Canaanites. They didn't wipe all of them out. Some of them remained, and here is one of them. So the Canaanites are just the natural enemy of the Jewish people, and there in verse 22, we see a Canaanite woman from that region, and she came out and began crying out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Here's this woman, Canaanite woman, just got a daughter, possessed by a demon, creating all sorts of havoc in her life, pain. Can you imagine the grief of a mother when you got a child that's demonically possessed? What that could be like? Jesus, help me. But notice she doesn't just say, Jesus, She says, have mercy on me. What? Lord, Master, God, Son of David. She knows that this is Messiah. She uses the Messianic title. How in the world did she you know that? Wow, God has a mysterious way of working in places we never knew. Somehow she had heard about Jesus. Somehow God had worked in her heart for her to see who he is. And she just says, my daughter is cruelly demon possessed. Now, verse 23, he did not answer her a word. And his disciples, man, you've got to love the disciples. They just kind of tell it the way they see it, even if they're off. And his disciples came and implored him saying, you see this in verse 23, send her away. Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. We don't like it. We don't like people yelling at us. She keeps following us. She is calling out for you to do something about her demonically possessed daughter. We're in Gentile country. We totally feel uncomfortable, and this isn't helping. Jesus, do something. Tell her to go away. Scare her. Do something. Do whatever it takes. Get rid of her. Well, just like Jesus, teachable moment time. He... uh, he turns to them, look at verse 24, and he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm the Jewish Messiah. I'm the promised one. I'm sent to the house of Israel. What, what needs to be done here? Oh, they're like, I, I, I don't know. And then notice verse 25. She, this Canaanite woman, the demon-possessed daughter, she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. See the humility, the honor toward Christ, just laying her life before him. Lord, help me. No pretenses. No, hey, I got an issue with you. Lord, just help me. She lays her life completely before him. And then in verse twenty six, he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? That's in the Bible? What is what's going on? Jesus. What's happening? This woman is calling you the son of David, asking for help. Mercy, you can help her. And he says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, do you know what the Jewish people called the Gentiles? Dogs, yes. How do you think that works? That really helped relations, right? You're really going to win a lot of people over to your side, right, by calling them dogs. And when they called them dogs, they talked about these wild scavenger dogs, and they were roaming around, and they were vicious, and people were afraid of them. That's what they called the Gentiles. Nice. When Jesus uses the word dog, though, here, he's using a different word, and this is the word that they use for, like, household pets, domesticated dogs. And some families actually have them, just like today. We have people that have domesticated dogs. They're kind, they're friendly, and they're actually part of the family. Some of you are confused, and they think, they are my family, okay? And they get more attention than the kids are. But they, that's the word he's using, that one for dogs. Jesus isn't trying to play games. What he's doing is he's drawing out a depth of faith in this woman. And look at this, verse 27. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What she's saying is, I know I'm not a Jew, but I know that you're the Messiah, not only for the Jewish people, but that through the Jewish people come the blessings of Messiah. I know that you can help me. Because even the dogs, these little pet dogs, they still get the crumbs that come from the table, even while the children are eating. And I'm just asking for one crumb Will you help my demon possessed daughter? Lord, have mercy on me. Help me. And Jesus, you see this woman's great faith, she has holiness. She's set apart to God. She will not be run off. I mean, think about it. She was a Gentile, a Canaanite, a woman. Rabbis generally didn't talk to women. Even the disciples made life hard on her. and She had all these things against her. She still believes and holds on. Jesus, you can help me. I will gladly take my place as just a little pet dog at the feet. I just need you, just one crumb for your table. Well, Verse 28, when Jesus he saw that faith, He said to her, "O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You believe your heart has holiness and health. My father has done a work in you. Your faith is great. These disciples were watching because they're being trained and they're seeing, once again, great faith manifested in a Gentile. There's only two times that the Bible speaks in Matthew of someone with great faith. Both of them are Gentiles. Remember this Roman centurion and this woman? She has great faith and he says, be it done for you as you wish. And Jesus demonstrates his deity by healing her daughter from a distance. Once again, demonstrating just how powerful a God he is. And friends, this woman has the kind of heart we need. You see, holiness is a heart issue. And look at the stuff that comes out of your heart. When I look at the stuff coming out of my heart, I, you know what? I need Christ. I am a complete sinner. I see it out of stuff that comes out of my life. What I need is a heart change. And I need a continual submission. To Christ, my life. When I sin, I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. But I absolutely need Christ. And your heart being manifested through your life drives home to every single person on this earth our great need for the Savior. And that's, you know what? That is what God gives. It says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come God gives a new life and a new heart that is yielded to God's way. And even when we sin as believers, we keep running to Christ because he cleanses us and forgives us. But he's everything to us. Friends, holiness is a hard issue. So, you know, I had a skunk in my house last night. Big deal. Do you have sin residing in your heart, festering and manifesting itself? That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Holiness is a heart issue. You guys remember the uh, Columbine massacre? Remember that? April 20th, 1999. Well, a couple years ago, uh, there was an interview that was done. I want you to listen. At the Columbine High School, if you forgot, there were two boys, Dylan Klebold and Klebold and Eric Harris, they killed 12 students, one teacher, and they injured 24 others before they took their own lives. Obviously, as a country, we're just like devastated. Like, what in the world? How could that happen? High school boys, what's going on? In this interview that was conducted a couple years ago, this woman, um, actually it was Susan Klebold, Klebold, uh, Dylan's mother, she, she actually wrote this. And I want you to listen to this. Quote, In raising Dylan, I taught him how to protect himself from a host of dangers, lightning, snake bites, head injuries, skin cancer, smoking, drinking, sexually transmitted diseases, drug addiction, reckless driving, even carbon monoxide poisoning. It never occurred to me that the gravest danger to him and, as it turned out, to many others might come from within. Friends, that's the most important part. It's your heart. Do you know Christ? Are you yielding him? And are you tolerating sin in your heart when God wants holiness and cleanliness? He wants you to know the purity and devotion and joy of knowing Christ. And friends, in our ministry, we're not about getting people to jump up and down and following rituals and jump through hoops. We're after the heart. In your parenting, it's the heart of your child that is most important. When you're mentoring or discipling someone, it's the heart. When you're teaching, it's not that you get information out. it's It's that holiness being instilled in our people growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our pastoring, in our ministry to people, it's all about the heart. No wonder David says, oh, Lord, create in me a clean heart. You see, holiness is a heart issue, and holiness is found in abiding and knowing Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the amazing power of your word. Drives home the reality of how much we need you and that you've given us Jesus. He cleanse us always as we trust in you. And Lord, if there is someone here today who has never put their faith in you, would they just pray with me and say, Lord, obviously, you know all about me and my sin, my self-centeredness. And I see it. I see how deadly it is. So right now, this morning, I turn for my sin and myself, and I trust Jesus as my Savior. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Give me new life. Lord, for all of us, may we take our lives before you with sincerity. Lord, let us not tolerate unholiness, uncleanness, things that are not even worthy to be mentioned. But Lord, may our lives be lived in devotion and joy in the Savior. May we reflect and look a little bit more like this Canaanite woman who just willingly laid her life before you, declared that you're Lord, you God. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.